The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Well, hey, listen, I, you know, who's, whose idea was it to be up here? Oh, mine. No, actually, my wife, so yeah, I told her, let's, hey, let's go upstairs to the roof. We haven't done that and on a Wednesday because there'll be ample parking. So that was, that was good as well. How are you guys doing? You guys all doing well? You guys are nice and brisk. I've never seen you guys this awake, ever. Not, even, not ever. And look, look at the community here. There's blankies. You guys are snuggling. Couples are happy. And even if you don't like the person next to you, there it's a body, right? I don't care who you are. Hi, how are you? Just get over. Shut up. I, I recall once having a, a, a dream on a bus, and I was on the bus. That wasn't part of the dream, unfortunately, but I'd fallen asleep and I remember sort of, you know that moment when you're sort of in and out of consciousness? Oh, no, it's worse than you think. And, and I remember thinking, oh, and I started to sort of snuggle. And I remember thinking, what is Lilia doing here on the bus? And I realized it wasn't Lilia. And it was someone I was a regular, but she was cool about it. But I just <sighs> had to move over. Hey, let's go to Ruth chapter one as we take a look at... Um, yeah, take, what do you, you know, let's take a look at this. We, we've been talking about broken lives and broken relationships, and next Sunday we're going to speak about broken finances, so most of you will be able to relate at some level in your lives. Either, either in fact, for most students, you know, you, you, or I should say, most young couples, when you find somebody and you're very, very young and you're just in love, you don't even know how miserable you are. You don't, you don't know how broke you are. I remember Lily and I, we had what we called our $1.75 dinner, this is back in 1979, eight. We were dating at the time. And uh, so I would pick her up from work and we would drive over to Olvera Street each night and we could eat for less than two bucks. And you know, you're so broke, you don't realize how miserably broke you are because oh, you're so in love eating your tacos and your stupid salsa and your Coke, you know, it's a feast. And I, and I went to a Bible college as a young man. It was called uh, Light uh, Life Bible College. It was a lighthouse and four-square evangelism Bible college. And we thought it was living in financial embarrassment fi- uh, Bible college because that was also the reality. At any rate, but uh, how many of you have been or are right now, you would say, in a, in, in a transition where the life you once had is gone and you liked it, but now it's gone and you're going to go into a new place, Right. So no one over everyone's here just liars, apparently, or, or so so cold, like I don't want to expose my hand to this <laughs> level of frost. And it, it really isn't at some level, this is kind of an easy thing to discuss because everybody has those moments. The younger you are, you may not have it yet, because you know, things are still maybe some doors are are, are opening still and you're leaving school, you're maybe getting a job, and oh, you're, you're finally out of the house, or you have some money, and you can sort of be out of the house. And, um, uh, but sooner or later, you're going to come to a place where uh, the dreams that you had, and, and we speak a lot about that in our community, right? Living out your dreams, chasing your passions. But the dreams that you had and things that you really believe God was leading you to do are, are, are just dashed. I mean, they're crushed. It's not like a temporary setback. It's over. It's not going to happen. It's just not. Um, and so what do you do when you find those, yourself in those moments of transition? And so uh, because I find myself the most interesting person I know, uh, I'm, I'm going to share some things that I know I've gone through. And then you could uh, pull out from that what makes sense for you. If you go through the Bible, there are so many characters to choose from that had moments where everything just went away. 
And usually when I gave this talk, I, I would pick on a guy named Moses. Because here was a guy, the prince of Egypt. I mean, you know, Charlton Heston, you know, you can take my gun when you pry it out of my cold dead hand, Heston. This guy was the guy, right? In fact, I recall once when there was a talk of a movie about his life, they were thinking of asking God to play him because he had done so many movies and along those lines. See, there's only two old people that got that. The rest of you guys that are so young go, Chuck? Chuck Heston who? Planet of the Apes. Oh, Charlton Heston. Yeah, okay. And, um, and, and Moses was the guy that I always sort of identified with because he was the guy that had so many opportunities and so many things come his way and he just, he just threw them away. And all of a sudden, he ends up in a, in a life in a desert where it was so dry and everything was just, you know, gone. The life that he had was gone. It wasn't going to come back and it never did come back. But the life that God led him to was completely different and beyond his, his wildest imaginations. But he had to go through that time in the desert. You find that with Elijah, you find that with Paul, you find that with so many other people. You even find that in, in a moment with Christ himself where everybody goes through a moment of dryness and, and a desert experience and you all right, yeah, you know, but they made it, the heroes, everything worked out in the end. But what happens to some of those obscure characters that you read about in the scripture that, you know, they don't have books named after them. They, they didn't write one. They just happen to be almost like a secondary character in, in the book. So this is why we're going to go to Ruth chapter one for a moment. So if you have your Bibles, it's turned there while we still have light. And in, starting in verse nine, this is what it says. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-laws, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord, may the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your, uh, to your dead and to me. Now let me stop here because there's some context. Uh, Ruth was a, uh, uh, Naomi was a woman, two sons, two daughter-in-laws, they married out of the uh, community, out of the Israeli community. They had left, they started a new life somewhere with this family. Her husband dies, her two son dies, and so now the daughter-in-laws that she has are widows. And uh, she's going to go through a very difficult time in her life. It's, um, uh, you know, whatever she imagined for her life, it's gone. In fact, this is often a thought that I had when, um, when my mom, let's say those, those couple of years after my dad left and there was all that disintegration in our home, I thought, well, this is certainly not the life that she imagined for herself when she first got married. And, and yet that was the life she had. This, she was entering a life that she did not choose, did not want, but she was in it. And um, so I think this is where Ruth is to a degree. She's in a life that she did not want, did not plan, did not think would happen, and, and, but she's in it. And, um, and I'm thinking about conversations I've had in the past couple of weeks, conversation even just last night, that when you find yourself in that moment where, you know, you, you don't think you have much of a future, you don't want anybody with you either. You, you, you sort of want to move into a solitary, you know, moment because you just don't feel like you have anything to offer. In fact, you are experiencing a moment of being broke. See, because being broke is not just the idea that you don't have money. It's, it's the idea where you really don't have any uh, spiritual uh, resources. You don't have the emotional resources. You don't even seem to have the mental resources. You're sort of fatigued. And you're just sort of, you know, <sighs> see, for Moses, for me, that story was easy to see because I thought, gosh, 40 years in the desert. And I, I, I've heard of deserts. I've, I went to Palm Springs once. And I, I, it's stunning to me how bland a desert can be. I mean, I, people talk about the beauty of the desert when it blooms and all that. You know, okay, well, at least what I saw was, you know, sand, sand, 
and then some more sand. And it was all the same color. It was tan, tan, and shades of beige, or ecru. And, um, and you just that was it, that was his life, that's where he was, from Egypt to this. And Naomi had a life to, to nothing. No husband, no sons, two daughter-in-laws, three widows. And so she tells her daughter-in-laws, look, you're still young, essentially is what she's gonna say to them. You're still young, go find husbands and, and, and have, you know, have a life. I don't have one, so you shouldn't be with me. So this is the context of the story. And in um, verse nine, may the Lord grant each of you uh, find rest in the home of another husband. Then she, uh, she kissed them and they wept out loud and, and said to her, we will go back with, with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grow up? Look, you know, I'm older. And even if I had a husband, and even if I got pregnant, are you going to wait 20 years? And if you waited 20 years, you know, you'd, you'd kind of be a cougar. So, you know, this is not... <laughs> just, just making sure you're all with me, that's all. So you can hear the distress in her voice and maybe even feel the emotion that, you know, these were, these were women that were close. This was their family. It's over. And so she's breaking up this family to move on because she doesn't feel she has a hope or a future to go with. Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And at this they wept again Then Oprah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So these are the two daughter-in-laws. Orpah and Ruth. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And where you die, there I will be buried. How many of you have heard that in a wedding? Nobody, huh? Oh, one. Thank you. Um, sometimes some of the weddings I've officiated, this is one of the part of the vows where they say, you know, where you go, I'll go, and your God will be my God and all that. Until, the, of course, the first fight. Here, here's what I see in some of these transitions, how they happen. And for some of you, you know, I, I'm willing to bet at least one of you had a good upbringing. What I mean by that is that, you know, you had a dad that loved you and you had a mom that affirmed you and they baked you cookies and your dad was, you know, you were, you were dad's favorite son, you were his favorite daughter. And, and even if there was seven or eight other kids, all the other kids knew it too. And they were, they were cool with it because they thought, yeah, you are wonderful. You deserve all, of, all the love. And so if they were older, they, they helped you along. If they were younger, they served you. You were the, fo you were the star of that family. And you grew up fairly healthy, you know, because you were affirmed, you got love, you gave love, and, you know, you just, you know, you were the captain of the football team, you were the prom queen, you were just that person, you know, and great for you, we're glad that you're here, you know, but that's not the story for most of us, is it? For most of us, you know, for, well, geez, for most of us, if your family was intact, you still had a home that wasn't safe. You knew that there was violence that could pop up at any moment. You knew there was some weirdness that could happen at any moment. You knew that it, your home was not a safe place. 
Um, I have members of my family who've talked about there was such chaos in their home that nothing felt safe. They weren't comfortable anywhere in their home. And you couldn't wait to get out. Now, uh, others, you know, you, you just had lives that, um, that you know, you, you just made the mistakes. I mean, you made your own bed. I mean, you, you insisted on figuring out and proving every, to everybody that the laws of nature and the laws of the spiritual world don't apply to you. So you drove too fast, you drank too much, you slept around too, way too much. You screwed around, you didn't stay focused at school, you didn't really care about your job, you showed up when you felt like it, you left when you wanted to, and essentially you didn't understand why life hasn't working for you. So one is a real victim, and the other is that you're the victim to yourself. I mean, these were almost like self-inflicted spiritual and emotional wounds. And so, in, in one case, there's, the, there's the, the, the stuff that happens to people that just happens to them. It was, really was beyond their control. And then there's the things that happen to us that we just cause. We are our own worst enemy at times. And I can remember those moments. And some of you can right now, too. Some of you are still processing those moments in your life. And, and the, the thing that makes it difficult, see, this is why Moses worked well, this is why Naomi works really well, both of them, because I think what makes this situation more bitter, at least for Moses, is that he caused his own mess, right? I mean, he chose to kill that Egyptian taskmaster. He was going to try to do it again in some other level. It, it, you know, he caused his own mess and, and then lost the life that he had. But for this woman, I, I think maybe it's bitter in a different way because she feels God has done it to her. And, and this is where some of you are as well, that you think, <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's funny. You know, when, when, I've said before, when things go well, you don't learn anything. You, you don't, there's no character building when, when things are going well. When the car starts and it's still fairly new, when, there's, when, when you go to the ATM and you're not hoping that you could actually get a 20 out. You remember those times when you, find, you try to find those ATMs that, that, that uh, distribute fives because that, you have six bucks? So you got to find, oh, where's the one that has five? Oh, one that sent out five. And then it says non-sufficient funds. No! Curse you, Starbucks, for holding that money. When... Uh, when, you know, the gas is on, you're, you're not late with the rent or the house note. When, when things are working, you know, the relationships are okay. I mean, when things are working, there's very little character building going on. It's when you're in this transition that everything changes. And what's funny about that is, is that most of us don't want that process. Uh, can I read about character? Can I watch a video about character? Is there something from, from uh, you know, Rob Bell? A new, is there a film? Is there an awakened thing? Is there a tape I can get of Irwin's? Somebody teach me character. I don't want to have to experience getting character. But I, and I, I want you to listen to this because if you get nothing else out of this moment, understand this. Sometimes through those deepest painful transitions is when God is doing his deepest, most significant work of character in you. Sometimes during those deepest, darkest moments when it seems chaotic and it's transitory and, and the life you had is gone and all you're trying to grab for is that life. How can I get that back? You know, how can I get that relationship back? How can I get back in that home? How can I get a job that pays the same money again? How can I get back into that? Whatever it is you lost that was important to you. And God says, either God says it or decrees it, allows it, or you, you cause it or it happens to you. It doesn't matter. It's three sources. It happens to you, you do it, or God causes it. 
when that's over and you find yourself in that transition, this is what you're left with, your character. That's what you're left with. Ever been that, uh, that person in a conversation when, um, I guess I've done this to my wife. If I've done it once, I've done it a million times. Something's going wrong. She and I are both different in that when something hits at first, it depends on how it hits me. I may react like, all right, something needs to be done. Or I may be like, huh, that's interesting. Very adaptable. All of a sudden, I get very like silly putty. Oh, we'll just go with the blows. But there are those occasions where I thought, you know, if you're not panicking, if you're not emotional about this moment, you must not care. Have you ever been in that situation? Like, you know, that somehow panic is a sense of your emotional interest in a moment. You're not upset. You should be upset. You should be panicking. Why? There's enough mess and enough, you know, you're not making the mess any better by panicking. And so you get to those moments, you're going to find your life's divided in almost two stages. What was and what's going to be. And what's going to be doesn't look that good because of what was is gone. Because all you can imagine is whatever this was, can't I wanted it to continue into my future. And so if this is gone, then the future looks, now what? And I can recall the moments that I was actually um, reluctant to have God deal with my soul because I thought, if I'm no longer this destructive person, gosh, who will I be? I mean, that's all I knew. That's all I had ever been. What would be left? I mean, besides cool clothes, what, what else am I? And that's how fractured I was in my head. That health and integrity and restoration in my soul you know, seemed frightening. So here's a few questions to ask yourself is, is really, who am I in that moment? How did I get there? And what are the steps forward out of that space? Now, here's what I want to be very clear about. If you think first, how, what are the steps out of this? You're going to short circuit the whole process. You're going to ruin the moment and you're going to be right back in it sooner or later because you have the same character. You're gonna make the same decisions. You're gonna go right back into that stupid relationship pattern. You're gonna go right back into that dumb career move. You're gonna go right back into that um, bad relational think skill sets. You're gonna go right back into um, not having resiliency, not having a, a perseverance. You're, you're gonna go right back to it because you're the same person. Or you're gonna allow the same people into your life and they're gonna cause that thing to you. Or God in his kindness will bring you back into that moment. But you will go back into that moment if, you, if you're only looking to get out of that moment for pain relief or somehow to recapture part of that old life back. Um, you're just going to end up having to go through it over and over. Here's what I've also noticed, and this will be here in a... I think you'll recognize this. Have you noticed that when it seems that you're in those moments of transition, when you realize that you're very desperate and things are no longer like they used to be and they're not good, first of all, you find yourself being a big believer in God all of a sudden, don't you? Why did God let this happen? I mean, God was never part of your conversation before or barely, but all of a sudden something goes wrong is, what is God? Why does God hate me? Why do you allow this to happen? Where is he? And usually when we have God talk in those moments is to let him know how disappointed we are in him. 
You didn't handle this better. I mean, come on. What are you doing? Or we allowed deeper, more sinister, insidious, almost serpentine voices to tell us that God doesn't love us and doesn't care and he brought this pain on because we deserve it. Because he hates us. Or we're, we, we don't ever, ever have anything good come from him because he doesn't like us. And the reality is, is that that's not the reality. Um, I see God move into those moments with us. I see God nudging us along out. I see God looking for us to break free, to become the people we want to become. The people that he whispered into our souls that we can become. But here's, here's the thing that I think we do to resolve it. We think, if I just have one great big success, I'll get out of this failure. You know, so if you're in a series of bad relationships, it's, man, if I just find that one person to love me, then, you know. Or if you're a sales rep and you're just having a dry spell, if I just had this one big deal. Or if you're, you know, whatever it might be, as long as you can get just one success out, you're just, you're just, you just know you're just one success away of ending this moment. But that doesn't end the moment. Here's what ends the moment of great failure. Is your great faithfulness. Um, Lily and I, we were part of another spiritual community at one time. It was a large church and uh, um, I don't, I mean, it's hard. The more I think about it, it's even hard to remember how it all started. But after, uh, I mean, theft, uh, false doctrine, uh, you know, dissension. I mean, there was all these accusations leveled against me. At, uh, just for the record, I was completely innocent. All right. Just, just in case any of you were wondering. Um, but it went on for a year and a half, two years. And what I discovered is who our friends really were. Because we were kind of like that young moving up couple. And all of a sudden, the phone stopped ringing. No, no contact. Nobody. And there was just one couple that continued to reach out to us. And um, so we did what everybody else, I guess, would have done in that situation. We were committed to this community. We had, we had prayed with these people. We had led small groups. We did, I mean, we had done everything from VBS to head ushering to teaching at the school of, for pastors. I mean, we had done everything. And we thought if we leave because of something that's gone wrong, we've communicated to people that God is a big lie. So we chose to say and say nothing. It got to the point that there were some people in leadership there that physically, literally turned their back when we walked in. If we were going to pass by and like had to say hello, they would turn their back to us. It was stunning. It was painful. And um, so we just continued to go to church. Sunday morning, midweek. Uh, we hosted a small group that we started that was apart from the church thing. We, we invited our friends from work. That, hey, that was novel. We invited people who didn't know God to our home for Bible study. Um, we went to work, you know, paid the bills, took the kids to school. We just were faithful in what we had to do. And, but I will tell you that it wasn't always, hey, this is great, you know. It wasn't. Sometimes it was just plain, dull, boring 
monotonous and how did we get here? Now, I, there is one little happy ending in that story. It seemed within days, in a matter of days, everything turned around. Senior pastor had an, uh, uh, just had a moment of understanding where all the things made sense. He, he understood uh, everything that had been false, an official apology, restored, come back, do this, you know, the elder thing. Everything happened in a few days. And what was weird about that time is that all of a sudden I realized, wow, you know what? It's God's approval that I really needed, not the, not the leadership here. And it was a very freeing thing to have developed in my soul. I realized I would never have gotten that about that moment. That in the end, that it's God's approval, God's applause, that there was an audience of one that really mattered, not everybody else's approval. But for the rest of us, and these moments will come, just like they'll come for me, just like they'll come from you. It is not a success that'll take you out of that misery. It is not a success that's going to, oh, finally, the pain stops. It is simply your consistent faithfulness that builds perseverance, that paints a picture of hope. And you then become a person that comforts others with the comfort you received. Because you're going to see people go through those valleys of dry seasons and moments when it seems that, man, you know, it's painful. Now, I, as I'm speaking, I see different expressions and eyebrows and people drifting away in their thoughts. And I, listen, some of you are thinking, man, I did not handle that well. <laughs> and some of you are thinking, man, I'm right in that spot right now. Some of you are thinking, oh, I hope I never get that transition period. <laughs> you know, maybe I plan better, you know. By the way, planning and security, it's an illusion. Because it's just that, not, it's not that God is, you know, capricious. It's not that, you know, he doesn't care. It's just that life happens. You're not exempt as a follower. You didn't get to pick your parents. You didn't get to pick your nationality. You didn't get to pick the home you were raised, how you were raised. You didn't get to pick any of that. You don't get to pick your circumstances in life most of the time, right? The thing that you get to pick is how you respond to it. That if you'll reuse this if you'll use that moment in a, in a redemptive, redeeming fashion to allow it to build character into your life, if you allow it to be a litmus test to show, wow, if this freaks me out, then it's something that's still jagged, it's still broken, it's still pointy, that's, that's damaged in me. And honestly, I think one of the wisest things that you could do is not just pray, but to get on your freaking knees and pray. I mean, literally take the posture of submission and humility before the God in heaven and say, I just don't know what to do. I don't have the answers. I'm responsible for things that I don't know how to handle. This has got beyond me, but I know this is no surprise or accident to you. And allow his presence to comfort and to hold you and to keep you and to build the character in you to make you the man or the woman that he wants you to be. Be faithful in those moments. Be faithful in those moments. If there's one great equalizer for us is that we're all, we're all equal right there at that foot of that cross. There's not a one of us that, that, you know, we just, somehow we need salvation less. We need God's kindness less. We need God's grace less. Not one of us. And so this moment here in Elements as we're getting ready to I'm going to close here in a moment of prayer. 
take this moment just to at least articulate the fact, where are you if you were in that moment of transition? And say, look, God, we're going to start over. Because that's the benefit of elements is to remember, I get to start over. You get a do-over, you get a mulligan, you get a, you get, what is it, a, a, whatever sports thing, I don't even know what I'm talking about means. All I know that it means like a start over, you get that with God. And if things are going well for you, man, awesome. You get to thank God for the gift of life that he's given to you. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.